Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Transitioning into the world of business and developing their life outside of sport can be difficult for athletes, as we probably know. However, Leon Lloyd, the CEO of Switch the Play, is a man who focuses on assisting athletes looking to do just that. Leon, as many of you will know, is a former professional rugby player representing Leicester Tigers, Gloucester and England. While playing, Leon suffered an injury that would cut his sporting career very short and he was forced to move from boot room to boardroom, which is the title of his book. Leon is also a judiciary officer of the RFU, European and World Rugby, and a proud ambassador and business mentor for the Prince's Trust and a patron, patron for Action Deafness. So, Leon Lloyd, a man, um, I, now I thought I was a busy chap, but you take being busy to a whole new level. This has taken a little while to organise, uh, so I have to start by thanking you most sincerely for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, apologies for being a bit elusive. Uh, no, <laughs> let, I, that, if you weren't elusive, then I don't suppose you'd be a guest worth talking to. So I'm kind of glad that it's taken us this long to organise it. A compliment, <laughs> Absolutely. So you should. So um, tell us about your background, first of all, because there's a lot of people out there that, you know, we, we've got a few sport billies that listen to this podcast. So a lot of people like me will know you quite well, uh, but many won't. So let's start with a bit of background and I love this phrase, boot room to boardroom. Uh, so let's kind of take us on that little initial journey and then we'll go uh, into a bit more detail about what's happened since. Absolutely, yeah. So I grew up in Coventry, uh, born in a city Coventry and like most young boys, wanted to play football. Uh, my dream was to play for Coventry, the mighty Coventry City, the Sky Blues. <laughs> uh, and, and no one in my family played rugby. It wasn't a sport that we played, certainly where I grew up either no one played. But weirdly, the school I went to, state school in, in Coventry, they only played rugby and not football. So I was sort of forced to play rugby. Um, like, at the beginning, it was it was forced. So I didn't enjoy it. I was a quick runner. Uh, and I used to get involved in the odd scrap at school, as young boys do. And I suppose if you put quick runner and scrapping together, you sort of come up with uh, rugby, I suppose. Uh, but a lot of my good friends back then played played rugby for a junior club called Barkers Burts. Uh, and then what, what started off as a detention in PE, uh, I had to stay behind and play play rugby after school. Turned into me getting into lots of detentions, having to play rugby lots, and then I sort of grew to love it from the, from then with my my then friends, but also became my my teammates as well. But I suppose one thing that I you know I was thirteen when I picked up my first ever rugby ball, and it wasn't a career choice back then. You know, it was people had jobs and you know it may have been on rugby special on a Sunday afternoon, but people worked largely in the city and played rugby as a hobby. And then between the age of thirteen and sixteen, when the game turned pro. And I signed for Leicester uh, at the age of 16. It, as I say, it wasn't a career choice. For me, it became my job. So something that I didn't really want to do, and uh, my dream was playing football, uh, turned into you know an amazing career that took me out of Coventry at the age of 16 to go and live with, uh, you know, I lived with Martin Johnson and to help put me on the straight and narrow as a young boy. Um, and then, you know, the, as I say, the rest is history. I've, I've, I've played with some amazing people and experienced some amazing things and, Gone on to do some great, great stuff with that team. Um, 
and that took me to you know to the age of 30 I played for Leicester for 14 years I think it was then I moved to Gloucester some call that the people in Leicester call that the enemy and some of them still never forgiven me for going down the road uh, to Gloucester but I had a great time at Gloucester sadly it was only for a year because uh, I got injured and my crew ended it at the age of 30 uh, and then that sort of took me into my own transition I suppose I'm really interested to know about because your your journey is not untypical of sports people, you know, uh, a, a very promising career and one that was flourishing at the time. And by the way, just as an aside, I'm still smiling at your comment about the mighty Coventry City. Uh, and am I right? In, there's a, the, the manager, a guy called John Sillett. Am I right in thinking yes, that? Yes, John Sillett, who yeah, won the 87 John, book, uh, FA Cup that, final. That's right. It was probably the, uh, the one period in Coventry City that, that you could consider... Um, successful so yeah good old John Sillett um so you know you you have this career that's cut short by injury but there are many kind of analogies and similarities to to life and business where you have this aspiration you have talent or maybe a business idea and then something goes wrong you know you hit that road bump in life I'm particularly interested to know from you Leon how you dealt with that transition because it wasn't one that you planned it was one that was forced on you suddenly you're looking at a completely different path in life um how do you deal with that how, is there a is there a mental resilience that you need is it something that came naturally to you was it really hard what did you do to transition from you know that that predetermined blossoming career in sport to something completely different Sandra, you mentioned a key word there, uh, resilience. I didn't know what resilience meant. Uh, you know, it just it's one of those things you do in sport. I suppose some people call refer to resilience as being able to bounce back uh, from setbacks. But I suppose when I when I look at resilience, I see that as not necessarily just bouncing back, but how do you adapt? We all have knockbacks, we all have setbacks in our life, whether you play sport or not. You all go through tough times in our life. It's how do you how do you adapt to that? And, and learn from it to be able to go forward. Now, now, be that in the sporting analogy of being dropped for, I've been very fortunate to play in cup finals and, you know, and win cup finals. But equally, I've also been dropped for cup finals, which I would argue that I should have been picked for naturally as, a, as the person <laughs> who's been dropped. But how do you pick yourself up from those, uh, from those setbacks at the time, which seemed like life-defining and career-defining setbacks to be able to adapt, learn from, and move forward? And only, only after my career, having gone through injuries, uh, threatening career-ended injuries, moving clubs, being dropped for finals, all those things you realise afterwards that that's, that comes under the bracket of resilience uh, and sort of sport teaches you those things as you go through. Um, I, I put things in, I thought I put things in place to transition out of sport and as I mentioned earlier that my, no, my dream was to play football and so I always felt lucky that I was being paid to, to do a job. I, I say job, but it was never really a job for me to play rugby, to, you know, to train with my mates, to play with my mates, to play in front of 25,000 people every week, you know, tens of thousands of people on t- millions of people on TV in such a great Leicester team, which won everything there was to win and, you know, travel around the world and playing for England, all those things. That, that's not a job. That was just me, me being this young lad from college being fortunate. Uh, but I was also, I'm also a realist to understand that I knew I was only one injury away from that going away and me going back to live a very normal life outside that bubble. And I think I suppose I had my first taste of that at the age of 20 when I had my first knee injury. Um, and I thought to myself, if I don't recover from the knee injury, and you know, if I lose my pace, I didn't really have much more to offer uh, back then if I took away my pace. Because uh, there's plenty of people who could, didn't mind a scrap. You need to have something else to <laughs> add to your, uh, your skill set. Uh, so that made me, that, that, I suppose, put the fear in me. And I, I learned then that having left school at 16 and 
and sacrifice, I suppose, education to go on and follow this this dream of playing sport professionally was I needed to upskill myself in other areas. So I, I shadowed lots of people at the club uh, through my own choice, really. I went and sort of shadowed the CEO. We had a, a CEO called David Clayton, uh, who was at the time, and I asked him if I could shadow him for a while, and he you know, kindly let me go and shadow him and look at how an organisation was run. Um, as a player, you know, I suppose I was noted to my other teammates, we thought the whole club revolved around us. Uh, but I wanted to understand how the club works. You know, if we didn't win on a Saturday, what did that mean for the club? What did that mean for sponsors? What did that mean for ticket sales? What did that mean for the corporate side? So I worked with, with David and then I sort of went on then to work in the ticket office, understand how that worked, to, to deal with disgruntled fans. You know, when they called up to tell us how, how poorly the team played at the weekend and I was one of the, person, the people on the end of the phone that uh, you know played poorly in that, that trying to deal with mm-hmm. those things. I worked in accounts department. I worked with the ground staff. I literally worked in all the different areas around uh, that organisation just so I can get an understanding of what did it take to work in an organisation, also to lead an organisation like that. And I suppose when I look, when I look back on it, it was hugely um, rewarding. At the time, it was painful because it was, I was out of my comfort zone. I remember turning up, but one day I was in the ticket office and Andrea Allen, who's the CEO of Leicester Tigers now, actually, she was my, my um, line manager as a, I worked in the ticket office. And I turned up there and said, what time does lunch get delivered? Because as a player, we turned up at Leicester, we had our breakfast, we had our lunch, we had our dinner, we had our towel, everything was all laid on for us. And all of a sudden, during the off-season and all my friends are over in Ibiza and Mallorca or wherever they are on holiday, and I'm in the ticket office, and I just turn around and say, well, just which I thought was a throwaway comment. Uh, what time does lunch get brought in, please, Andrea? And the whole place just started laughing uh, because I just I was so out of, so far out of reality <laughs> to understand that lunch wasn't provided for me. That was something I had to do myself. Just those little small things helped me understand that how lucky I was and how privileged I was to play sport in that environment. The other thing that I learned from that as well is I found it's really important to want to find out what you want, you do want to do when you finish playing sport, but equally find out what you don't want to do and what you're not very really good at. I realised very early on after I spent time in the finance department that accountancy was not for me. Uh, and, I, and I say that sort of laughingly and sort of tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but so the advice that we give to athletes or also I give to athletes now is Find out, that, try lots of things, find out what you don't want to do because you don't want to waste time when you finish playing sport, figuring out you don't want to do that. Um, so I did that really through luck, then through the, through choice. I went and tried lots of different things and realised, got rid of the stuff which I didn't want to do uh, quite early on. And I, and I suppose I felt that when I was playing that I was perfectly placed, that when when that time came, when the I always knew it was going to be an injury that ended my career because you know I loved it and it was going to take a lot for me to not play. So when the surgeon eventually turned around and said um, he couldn't fix my my knee, uh, I, I, yes, I was devastated because I was only 13. I still felt like I had time left and still had things I wanted to achieve. Uh, I also thought, a little part of me would thought, you know, I, I'll put things in place. From the age of 20, I've been doing different things. I'd set up businesses. I'd shadowed people. I'd built my network, done all those things. So it's not going to be that difficult to transition and, and how wrong I was. Uh, the things that I didn't take, you know, the things I hadn't planned for, I, I got blindsided by that athletic identity uh, and what I mean by that is for my whole life from the age of 16 to the age of 30 I was Leon the rugby player so I wasn't Leon the boyfriend then the husband or the dad or the business owner or the charity ambassador uh, who played rugby I was Leon the rugby player so when that identity was gone and I'm walking around and I'm no longer that person it took me a long time to figure out who, who I actually was what skill sets I have what was my what was my purpose in life and then on a Saturday you know, at three o'clock on a Saturday was game day, you know, for, for 14, 15 years. That's where I was. That's where I always was. That's where I knew I was going to be. And I had so much structure in my life. Then all of a sudden when that's gone and it's three o'clock on a Saturday, 
and I'm sat at home and we, we just had our, you know, our first daughter there. She was just born then down in Cheltenham and I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to be with the lads because it was three o'clock on Saturday and that's all I'd ever known. And all of a sudden I'm no longer there and somebody else was playing in my shirt, you know, in inverted commas in my shirt, because it wasn't my shirt, but at the time you think it is and you sort of want the team to, you want the team to miss you. Not, you don't want them to lose, but you want them to go, oh, it wasn't quite the same when, you know, now that Leon's not here, it's not quite the same. But the reality is it is the same because somebody else steps in because that's the nature of elite sports. Somebody steps in and then, you know, the team just moves forward. You're a small part of a, a big machine. And I suppose that's the bit which I was, wasn't prepared for is understanding how small a part I was, no matter how much I loved it and how much I gave to it. And this sport gave me loads back. But realising that when your time is up, your time's up and you move, the, the sport moves on and you have to move away. Uh, so I, I struggled with that part. I struggled for that probably maybe two years. I, I still think now I've been out of this sport for 13 years. I've been retired for 13 years and I still feel like I'm transitioning. It's not a day goes by when I see, I see an old teammate or I watch it on TV and I see that it takes me back to those times and you, you can't relive those times. We're very fortunate to have them, but you're always transitioning the whole world. You know, the, constant, the only constant is change. So I suppose understanding that sooner would have stood me in better stead. But uh, as I say, I feel very fortunate to have experienced it. But the two years after were very, very tough. And I know that lots of athletes, regardless of what sport you play, and regardless of when you finish, coming out of sport is really difficult. Mm. I, I, if you don't mind me saying this, and I hope this doesn't embarrass you, what strikes me about you, Leon, is how how modest you are. Um, a couple of things to pick up on, on what you said. You know, you said the only thing that you had to offer was a bit of speed. Well, uh, if, you've, if you've shared a property with Martin Johnson, you you either you learned how to look after yourself or you just made sure he was by your side every time you went down the pub. But, but more importantly, um, there was the, the story you told about going to David and asking to shadow him and learning all these different facets of this business. I don't know too many people that would put themselves through that, particularly when they're living in this bubble, this privileged bubble that you talk about. So I hear words like luck and privilege, but I think it looks to me as if you've created everything for yourself because you've been proactive you've wanted to learn and develop despite the, some of the uh, the challenges that you so openly admit you faced so um similarities before we talk about what you actually do and how you took those experiences into this business that you now run very successfully um the obvious question i guess for everyone is similarities between sport and business that's something that clearly you've probably picked up on now um what, what in your experience, Leon, have you found to be, you know, are there any mantras, any rules that you lived by in sport that you now live by in business? Absolutely. And I think, um, I, again, I'm very privileged uh, to have played, only played elite sport. So I played, as I signed at 16, signed for Leicester, and I played professionally all the way through, and then injuries stopped me. So I didn't sort of wean off it and go slowly down and play the league. So I only know that elite environment. And that is where we're all accountable uh, and you can't, you can't hide behind your mistakes, you know, and you, you own your mistakes. And that's one thing that I live my life by is being accountable. And I think that's the, I think that's why we were so successful as a team because we pushed each other and we were accountable. And I, so when I go and I do quite a lot of speaking, I go into organizations and talk to, to teams about lessons they can learn from, from elite sport to elite business. Because when you try and talk about the elite environment into an organization that isn't elite, it's, it's alien to them. Because, it, you know, you go above and beyond what's expected of you. And I refer a lot to the psychological contract. And what I mean by that is, again, I didn't know it until afterwards. I just thought it was normal. Um, if we were at Leicester, you did whatever it took 
to make the team, not just yourself, but the team be better prepared for the next match. So if I, if I needed to come in on my day off to work on a skill set that I'd let, let myself down at the weekend or even one of my teammates ask for some help on the day off, yes, we'd all be there. We'd all go in. We'd all do a go above and beyond what it was. It was, may not have been written in our job description, but we go in to make sure that we are best prepared for the match at the weekend. And when you do that all the time and it's sort of peer-led, it's not the boss, it's not, the, it's not Dean Richards telling you you've got to come in, it's actually the senior players sort of um, checking and challenging each, each other as you go through. That's something really special when you've got that. And only when you step out of that and you step into other areas and you realise that's not how it works or everywhere and that you sort of, you can become complacent and take that for granted, that's when you realise the lessons that you can take from elite sport into elite business. So when you, you know, if I go into successful organisations, I can see those traits instantly. Equally, you can see the ones that don't work. You can see the ones where the team, you know, the values, they're not values driven, they're not they're more about themselves and the team environment they also stand like a sore thumb so I find that it's they're quite easy fixes but it's quite refreshing to be able to come out of my environment and then go into any environment and I'm very lucky because I work with you know I go to I work with the you know I go work with just work with the military uh the SAS boys and I you know I know some of the Red Arrows team as well so I get to go into lots of different areas in business in the military in sport right at the top end and see what what the consistent themes and it is around that accountability, that attention to detail, that that personal sacrifice, all those things that they have, and also they are also transferable. Those skills, those soft skills, are transferable into into lots of different areas. So successful people can be successful in other areas, not just in sport, business, or military. As long as you know what it is that makes you successful, and can you bring enough people with you to buy into it? If you're a Red Arrows pilot, I guess attention to detail is quite important, right? And uh, and some of those SAS boys, wow, and ladies, of course. Uh, let's not forget them as well. Um, they're a they're a different breed altogether. So um, let's just talk about switch the play now. So obviously, you've developed all these amazing and diverse skill sets. What then encouraged you to take all those skills and create the business that you've now got? So let's start by asking you. The, about the aims and objectives of Switch to Play and then how you kind of transitioned into that business and indeed some of the things that you do with, with the clients that you work with. Yeah, so I, I, as I say, I retired 13 years ago. I ended up going through my own little journey, my little blip uh, of trying to discover who I am, what I was good at, what the rest of my life, what, what my purpose was, if you like. And I ended, I ended up writing a book, uh, which you mentioned, from bootroom to boardroom. And it's not about how good I thought I was. It's about if I had my time again, what would I tell a younger version of myself? You know, the, the ultimate highs of representing your country and, you know, scoring tries and just the great things, winning trophies, the devastating lows of being injured, moving clubs, you know, the things I mentioned before. But more importantly, all those bits in between, you know, the bits that you, you take for granted. So that the people that you're surrounded by that have got, you know, the captains of industry, the business leaders that go there to support you, but you don't really speak to them because you think to yourself, you're so focused on Saturday to Saturday, how can I become a better player? you sort of sometimes can lose focus on uh, perspective of what's important in life and, uh, and sort of tapping into those, those people who've got knowledge. Uh, and if I had my time again, what might I do slightly different? Because I know that rugby, certainly rugby players now, they're far more aware and astute of the, the wider environment. When I was playing, it was Saturday, Saturday, win, win, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Now people understand there is more to lie. You know, better people make better athletes. Uh, so having, something, uh, having an interest outside of sport well, actually, now there's research now that shows that will make you a better athlete, regardless of the sport. And the All Blacks, you know, they 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 sort of they sort of highlighted that mantra and their thing: better people make better All Blacks. So I suppose that's similar to what we do at Switch to Play. So that that book really put me on the map with regards to 
identifying the journey that people go through and their transferable skills. And then I was approached by Switch to Play, uh, two of the founders of Switch to Play in around 2015, 2016, uh, and asked if I'd like to get involved with what they were doing. And they were from you know, Loughborough University and they were from the academics. They loved their sport football background. Uh, and then we had a mutual uh, contact who we played rugby together, actually, from, uh, from Warwickshire, uh, a steep guy called Steve Mitchell. We played against each other and with each other. And that was the link. And I went and spoke to them, met them, saw what they were interested in doing. And I thought, great, it's exactly what I was doing on my own little platform with my book and going and talking to businesses. But they were doing, they had bigger plans to go and do it far wider to all different sports. So, we, so I joined in 2016 and then we always had a plan to become a charity to make sure that we could help those plan ahead. Uh, so it's about prevention rather than cure. What can you do now whilst you're competing and living that dream to enable you to transition effectively when that time comes? Be that being released from an academy squad, uh, being injured. You know, you, you, everyone plans to get to a certain point in their career, then they're going to transition after having won a trophy or winning a medal and they go on their own terms. And that very, very, very rarely happens. Do you get to do that? And you go out on your own terms. So what can you put in place so that when that time comes, you are better placed to transition? It, yes, it's still going to be tough because you can't replicate going to the Olympic Games you know, or, or going to the World Championships or playing at Wembley or playing at Twickenham. It's impossible to replicate that and the feeling that you have, the nerves, even that, just mention that, the nerves, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up now just thinking about those times. But what you can do is you can put things in place that you're passionate about that's so when you do make that transition, the, the, the drop off the cliff is far more shallow and you can yeah. use what you've learned to help you get up the other side. So that, that's really been, it was, it, was an, it was a natural fit for me to, to go uh, to work with Switch to Play and what we've developed over the last four years and getting our charitable status. And it, it, it's just been a real growth journey um, working across all different sports. You know, my, my background is rugby, as we've said. I spend so much time now working with you know, Olympic, Paralympic athletes, and the, working with the Premier League, working with the Super League rugby teams, working with the military. And, it, and I love it. You know, no two days are the same. Is, is it the same as running at Walford Road or King's Home? No. But is it as close to that as you can get? Absolutely. It's brilliant because I get to share, let people learn from my lessons and those lessons from other people so that they can, sort of the next generation can move on and be better prepared themselves. You've uh, you've touched on something that, again, made me smile. You talked about your book and uh, and how you really focused on what you would say to a younger version of yourself. And interestingly, you may or may not know this, but the penultimate question we ask all our guests on this podcast is if you had your time over again, what, what's the one thing you would say to a younger version of yourself? So number one, I must read your book. Uh, number two, we must offer it as a prize to anybody. We do offer prizes, so we'll make sure we get a couple of copies, one of which Absolutely. I will keep for myself and the other which will offer as a prize. Um, but, you know, you've talked a, a lot, although we haven't talked specifically about teamwork, I just want to focus on this a little bit because, in business you know whether we work on our own there are people around us we may or may not be aware of it which we'll call teams for the moment you know the great since we're talking about rugby specifically the great Bath side of the the 80s Leicester Saracens more recently internationally the All Blacks I can't think of a single one of those teams where they were you know 11 or 15 or 13 depending on what format you're playing where they were all individually world-class, but collectively there was something extraordinary about them. So what is it about you know, teamwork, this, this whole theory, you're only as strong as your weakest link? Again, in your experience, Leon, how important is teamwork? I know you've touched on this, but I just want to, uh, we get a lot of questions on email from people saying, you know, how, how do I get more from my team? 
Yeah, I, I think understanding this is you've touched on a real passion piece for me, really. And this is this is what I do. So in my switch to play stuff is around transitioning with the gals, but I have a real piece around teamwork and the lessons that businesses can learn from sport. And for me, it's quite and because I've only known this, uh, and it's it's quite simple. And when I when I moved out of elite sport into my first proper job, I'd say I say I probably failed because I didn't I was unaware to to understand how that environment worked because I was, I was so focused on how do I make my team better. And it's, it's like, it's selfless. It's not, I suppose, is it selfless? I, I know that by investing my time and energy in making my team members better, I'm going to be better. So I suppose that's probably selfish in a way, but the, the, the way you do it is, the way that we did it is I know that if I go above and beyond what's expected of me to help my teammates, they'll do the same thing. I don't need to think about it. Don't need to ask them to do it. We were all on the same journey. And when people are on that same journey, it flies and it's smooth. And you also notice those who are not on the, that same journey. And certainly in, in, in the business environments that I've been in and gone in and spoken to organizations, when you start talking about the things that you do that is expected of you and the values and everything else, you, you, people identify when they're not swimming in the same direction. Same in sport, no different in sport. And you mentioned Red Arrows. You, you have to be singing on the same hymn sheet if you're flying at 500 miles per hour, you know, 11, feet, 11 meters apart from each other. So I think for me, it's understanding each other, understanding yourself better. So how do I, I know that um, I like to receive information short sharp fast and you're not going to offend me with how you give me that information because i want to get better so i will not take it personally so give me the feedback that you can give me so i can get better because in sport it's quick you get feedback all the time i get feed if i drop the ball on the match i get feedback straight away from the crowd i get feedback from my teammates and i get feedback in the media you know in, in the outside of outside of sport in the real world you don't get feedback that quick sharp because you wait till your sixth of the appraisal or your annual appraisal and you and sometimes it's too late so those people who seek feedback, you know, feedback's a gift, you know, and I, I always try and seek feedback just to get better. And all my teammates who went on to be, you know, like I played with seven at my lesser team. I say my lesser team, it wasn't my team, but in my lesser team, we had seven World Cup winners. Each one, none of those were any different to anybody else. You know, people from Martin Johnson to Lewis Moody to Neil Bat, all those guys. But underneath those seven that went on to win a World Cup, there were another 20 odd people who still were same, same, same accountability, same attention to detail. You know, we, we all just drove each other and pushed each other and supported each other. And I think if you take one of those people out, you, you mentioned before about world-class people. Yes, we had seven world-class people. We also had people, the reason we won all those leagues was because when our world-class people were away doing international, uh, playing international fixtures, we had a group of teammates uh, who stepped in and they are the reason we won those cups and those leagues because it's the, the sides that have those individual superstars that when they step away the team falls over they don't they're not there at the end of the season we had such a tight-knit group of people that went over and above and beyond of what was expected of them so that when uh, those guys were away they stepped in and when the guys came back they, they played a proper role in doing that and we recognize them so it's not a case of uh we use the word cannon fodder people step in fill a fill a gap whilst the superstars away it wasn't like that at leicester when, when i was there they were valued equally as the superstars because we knew we couldn't do it without them. And, you know, and I was one of those as well. Where you, 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 under, you need to understand your role within the team. Understand that to, for the team to win, I need to do my job and help somebody else do their job. And when everybody buys into that, just the momentum builds and it's, it's like poetry in motion. I'm really interested to know. I, I've, I, I just, on behalf of everyone listening, I'm sure this is a question on the tip of everyone's tongue. How is it that Leon Lloyd seeks excellence, seeks to better himself, seeks feedback, is proactive in learning as many different skills as he can, uh, is such an important part of 
this team ethic? Nature or nurture? Can and what I'm really asking you is: Can success, Leon, be taught? Can it be learned, or is it something that you just accept you were born with? It's part of your DNA, and no one else, unless they were born with it, can really develop the skills that you've developed. No, I fundamentally disagree with that. I think I genuinely believe you can learn all those things. Everything that, that, that I've gone through in my team, we learned together. We made, you made, yes, you make mistakes. We talked about that. Was, how, do you, how do you adapt and overcome? How do you uh, learn from those things? I, th- I think you can, you can learn those. For me, why am, why am I so driven? I don't know. I, th- I, think, I, I think we've all got a World Cup in us. You know, and my dream was to win. A, you know, I said before, my dream was to score the F, winning goal for the FA Cup final. When that went away, okay, I want to win a World Cup medal for England. And I didn't win a World Cup medal, but I've still got a World Cup in me. It's about understanding what that World Cup is and what drives you, what gets you out of bed in the morning. And you, yours may be, you know, you may have yours and you might be on going on your path to get there. Mine is now, I can't achieve mine in my rugby kit. So what is it now? How can I stand shoulder to shoulder with my teammates who won a World Cup and they look across and go, yeah, he's done something well. I suppose, I suppose that's what drives me. And I suppose that's what drove me to go and do my, my degree uh, as a mature student and then go on to do my MBA and then go on to do some other thing. I just, I just keep, keep striving for, not for perfection, no, but just for excellence. And again, that comes from my time at Leicester, the environment that people I was with. And I believe you, I genuinely believe you're a product of your environment. So by being surrounded by all those people who strive for excellence and just keep going and pushing the boundaries and helping each other, the more you're in that group, the more it rubs off on you, then the more you pass that down. And I think uh, when you're in it, you may not know you're in it. Because I, I, I know, looking back, I knew, I, looking back, I think I didn't know I was in it. It just felt like that's the normal. That was just the, the way we went about things. But now looking back and uh, I see other environments, you think, wow, that was quite special. How do you recreate? How can I bottle that up? How can I mm. bottle that up and sell that? Uh, but you can't. Right? You, people try and do that. You can't do it. It takes time. It's like building that that legacy piece and getting the right enough people to buy into it, then the rest come along with, uh, with you on that journey. So if you could have your time again, uh, give us a very brief summary of the book then. If you could have your time again, if you were speaking to a son or a daughter and they said, dad, you know, uh, given all that you've learned in life and sport and business, the good and the bad, the obstacles, the highs, the lows. Um, if you could summarize that all, Leon, in, in a sentence or two, what, what would that one piece of advice be? I would say it's uh, have belief that you can actually do it to start off with. There's self-doubt. People don't achieve their, you know, what they want to achieve because they don't believe they can do it. And you're in control of your beliefs. Um, work hard. Hard work you know, beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, oh, it's a bit of a cliche, but hard work. I was never the most talented player in the team, but I, also, but I definitely was one of the guys that worked the hardest. And I just set, adopt that same mentality in everything I do. Uh, you know, regardless of what it is, if you work hard, you'll you will find a way, and and just find that thing that you're passionate about. Um, is it it's sport? Regardless of what it is, if you're passionate about it, you'll go above and beyond what's expected of you to make sure you achieve your objectives. If it feels like work, and you're doing it for the paycheck, which is which is fine, but you can't expect to be the best in your job if it's a, if it's a job and you're just doing it for the paycheck. Because when it going gets tough, are you really going to go above and beyond? Do it. Uh, expected of you and a bit more when it's just a job I don't think so so I think if you can find that thing that you're passionate about and then work hard uh, and put the effort in then you'll find that those little bits of luck tend to fall in your way so I think that's what that's what I definitely talk about in, in my book is people having perspective um, being nice people on the way up because you'll meet them again on the way down hmm. uh, those type of little things like that really which is it's not rocket science but when you put those little pieces together 
it makes for a, a good jigsaw. Why do you think people find transitioning from sport to business or from, you know, 30 years of work to retirement? Why do people find transition from one place in life to another? Let's let's open up the, the debate. But from one place, from A to B, why do people in your experience find it so difficult to move from a place of comfort to a place of discomfort? I think, well, I, I don't know if it's comfort because I don't think, I don't, I, I don't ever, I never felt comfortable when I was playing. I was always anxious because I was always thinking, am I going to get picked this week? Am I going to, can, can I get in the England squad? Can I, uh, the cup final? So there's all that selection, but there's all, you're always anxious. But I think there's so much structure. When you go from a period of having so much structure, I could have, I could tell you, you know, even 11 years ago, 13 years ago, sorry, uh, in five weeks time on a Thursday, at 11 o'clock, what I'd be doing, what I'd be wearing, what would be on the menu. Because you had that much structure around that elite environment. And when you step outside of that, that bubble and you've got, you no longer have that structure and you've got to, Decide what you wear, what clothes you're wearing, what you're doing. You've got to set your own diary. All those things, small little things, just throws you that little wobble. So people revert; they want to revert back to time and go back to finding that structure. And I think that's what, certainly in my experience and the research I've done in in um, sport and certainly in the military. But when you come outside that structure, that structure, how do you recreate that structure? How do you have that purpose? Finding that purpose, find that passion, and when you find that, and then you put the structure around it, build that structure around it with your team because no one does it by themselves. It's no, it's no fun doing it by yourself. It's actually finding those team of people, be that a coach, a mentor, or whoever it is that you work with, and then you go on that journey together. That's when you sort of get that enjoyment back. Mm. Final question, if I may, just because there's going to be lots of people now wanting to find out an awful lot more. And of course, they'll already be tapping away at their keyboards looking for your book. So let's help them out. Where, where do they get your book? How do they find out more about you? Are you... Are you you know, are you visible on social media? Do you have a website? I mean, I know the answer to all these questions, of course, yeah. but I'd rather I'd rather hear it from you. So how do we find out about Leon Lloyd if we were interested in finding out more about what you do, connecting with you, uh, and all those other lovely things? Perfect. Okay, so I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. Everyone knows how to use LinkedIn. I have a website, which is leonlloyd.co.uk. My personal Twitter is leonlloyd13, uh, my Twitter account. But then equally on Switch the Play stuff, uh, you go to switchtheplay.com. Our Twitter handle is switch underscore the underscore play. I need to change that so it's a bit more succinct. Uh, but that's where we are. You can find, find out there. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty visible uh, on this, on social. Um, but I say, reach out to me. I'm always keen. I love meeting people. I love doing new things. Again, I, my, I, I probably can tell, hopefully you can tell from this, this podcast that I have a real passion for team, culture, uh, leadership, all those things which uh, I've sort of taken from my sport and I sort of deliver in my in my guise at the moment in my, my and, first and what about and what about the book? Where do we find the book? W. H. Smith, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, I, I can get it from Amazon, ebooks on Amazon. Uh, the, the key thing the key thing about that is I'm really it's the morning I try and push home. You can get it from my website as well. Is that I, I really like I'm feedback, right? Feed, I'm big on feedback, as you can tell. Uh, I like people to leave a feedback review. So have, check out the feedback reviews first, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a good review. Just has to be an honest review because that's why the only way I can get better is if people are honest. I love that. I mean, that's the first time we've ever heard that from a guest. Normally, everyone wants uh, wants the plaudits. It's great, and and I think that goes a long way to to understanding uh, the the nature, the makeup of of the person that you you clearly are. And it's a shame in many ways that people don't get to see the video of this uh, of this podcast today, Leon, because. Every time you speak about what you do, you are one of those rare breeds where you can see in your eyes 
and you've mentioned the word passion, you can see how passionate you are about what you do. And that makes you authentic, which I think is a, is a spectacular attribute to have because not many people do or are really authentic about some of the things they say. And, and so for that reason and many other reasons beside, because you've shared such a such an amazing amount of detail in a short space of time. I, I really am so grateful. It's a shame in many ways we can't go on speaking for another half an hour, but um, we keep them to half an hour because most people, you know, they, they love listening to podcasts in the middle of doing something something else, maybe commuting to work or whatever. So um, all I can say, um, and there's lots more for you and I to discuss outside of this podcast for reasons we'll talk about after this podcast ends. Um, thank you, Leon Lloyd, for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been good fun.